0: Let me ask you a question. Just, just, you, you don't have to do this, but feel free, feel the freedom to if it helps you to focus, uh, to close your eyes. But I want to ask you, what do you what comes to your mind? What comes? What words or what um, images come to your mind when you hear church? What does it mean when you say going to church? What does it mean when you're telling your coworker, "Man, church was good this weekend"? What, what do you what do you envision? What do you think about? Okay, well, good. As i what what do you think about when you just hear church, like the noun church? Because you know. What about when we say, I'm going to church? It sounds like a place, like a physical location. A gathering. And we know it, right? We know that the church is the people. We know that. We know that church is not an event, merely. We know that church isn't just a, a program. We know that it's not a brick and mortar place. But I talk like that most of the time. But the word church, when Jesus used it, the the Greek word is ekklesia. And when it's used in the New Testament, it's ekklesia, and it means gathering. It means those who are are set apart or called out, a, a set apart gathering. And so when we talk about having church, doing church, being church, We're talking about us believers who have been set apart by God, saints, as a separate people of God from the world, from people who are not trusting Him, from people who are not followers of Christ, from people who are not the church. Now, I submit to you that we face especially, I think, in, in Western, maybe more American, or maybe even more Bible-built Christianity, we face a temptation to see church as an event, as an hour-and-a-half or two-hour-long gathering on, on a certain day of the week. But I submit to you that we as the church gather, and when we gather, wherever we gather, we are the church. Somebody asked me one time, in the New Testament, it says that the the early church were were meeting day by day. They would go to the temple and they would also meet in homes. When did they start and stop being the church? Were they the church at the temple? Were they not the church when they were meeting in homes? Or were they the church in the homes and not in the temple? I I submit that they were the church when they were gathered together, right? So we, and even collectively, individually, tomorrow morning, we as the church will be scattered out all over the metro Memphis area. And we're called to be set apart as we go. And we're called as a purpose to go with the gospel. Right? So, I'm all, I'm all, Craig, here's, here's what we see in the book of Acts, and here's what the people are seeking to do that we're working with in India. Um, you don't have to turn there right now. I'm about to give you a bunch of stuff, but I would challenge you to go back and look. Go back and read all of Paul's missionary journeys, the recorded first, second, third missionary journeys, and when you do, you're going to notice a pattern. And this is the first time that, that when, when um, they were called to go, Paul and Barnabas were called to go, they left Antioch, they went to Cyprus, and then they went on their first journey. And what would they do? They would enter into places that did not have the church or believers. So they had to first enter into the empty field. Then they would preach the gospel. Right? They would proclaim the gospel in that new place. And when believers came to Christ, they would teach them and and disciple them. Their goal, you go back and read the first, second, and third journeys. Much more, you'll see it much more heavy in the third and fourth journeys. Sorry, the second and third journey. I just straight up added a journey. The second and third journeys they had a lot more opportunity because there was more established believers and they would gather those believers into bodies of Christ, churches, raise up leaders when possible if they hadn't got run out of town yet. And as those they would pass off the church to those local leaders and they would go to a new place. They would enter into an empty field. They would preach the gospel. They would make disciples. They would plant churches, raise up leaders and continue the process. And as you read the New Testament, you'll see this pattern. It's going on in the New Testament and that's what we, we see happening all over the globe even right now. The church is rapidly expanding. The, the church, the kingdom of God is rapidly expanding in other places. So what is church? What does New Testament church look like? What What does the church do? So we would teach people that a, that a healthy church has... has uh, Five functions, if you will, and this is how we used to say it at Longview Point, and so it always messed me up because I would say it the way we said it. We would say worship, connect, grow, serve, go. We gather together to worship Christ, to connect and fellowship with one another, to grow together in Christ, to serve, and to go and be on mission. Worship, connect, grow, serve, go. Y'all remember that? Remember, we used to say it like rope memory: worship, connect, grow, serve, go. Worship, connect, grow, serve, go. Worship, fellowship, discipleship. uh, Worship, connect, grow, serve, go. (laughs) Service and make disciples. Mission. Okay? That's what they're doing. Now look at this. I'm going to go, I'm going to give you just a snippet, okay? This is in Acts chapter 14. This is just a snippet. This is one place that you see all five parts of the church planting uh, strategy. Okay, The five parts, entry, evangelism, discipleship, church formation, and leadership development. Okay? Those are the five parts that you see Paul doing throughout his missionary journeys. Now, I really want to encourage you, go back and look at it. Look at all three of those journeys. And see if you see him entering into new places, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, and raising up leaders. Go back and look. But here's one spot, okay? In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas were basically run out of Lystra. And it says that, verse 20, um, Remember how he got, he got stoned and left for dead? They dragged him outside the city and left him for dead, but the disciples gathered around him. And uh, I'm assuming when they did, they were praying, but that's me assuming. Um, verse 20, But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he entered the city. That's crazy to me. He went right back. But he entered that city, so he had already entered into Lystra. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So now he's entering into a new place, entering into an empty field. And when they had preached the gospel to that city... And had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Listen to verse 23. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now that's not a very popular message, is it? Hey guys, y'all trusted Jesus now. Remember how Paul got drug outside the city and stoned and left for dead? Saddle up! <laughs> this is how it's going to be. you follow following Christ, expect to suffer. But one day, you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, and it's going to all be worth it. But he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And look at verse 23. Sorry, that was 22. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and faith. And then they went to the next place. So in that one little paragraph, we see a snippet of Paul's strategy. Entering into empty fields, preaching the gospel, strengthening the disciples, planting churches, and raising up leaders. Did y'all see all that there? Yeah? Well, guess what? That's not even what our Bible study is about. <laughs> That's context, okay? That's context. Somebody asked me what I was preaching tonight. And I'm like, "Here we go. We're just going rock and roll." Um, here's what I was thinking. Two weeks ago, Brother Wade preached about prayer, taught us about prayer, and so last week we prayed through a passage together. And we, we, I hope we're putting some some practical application to that message, saying, "Here's a way that we can grow in our prayer. We can pray the Bible. We can pray back God's word to Him." So tonight we talked. Last week we talked about evangelism. It was a really good sermon. Um, if you haven't heard it, you can listen to it online. And how it's our it's our not just our job but our privilege to worship Jesus by proclaiming the gospel to people who don't know Him. Right? And so I thought tonight, let's be practical. Let's talk about the church and our job and our privilege and our power to go out and proclaim the gospel. To go out as the church. That's one of our main goals. Somebody said one time, the church does not have a mission, the mission has a church. You get that? Why do we exist? Why do we exist as a bride of Christ? To proclaim Jesus, to strengthen the believers, to worship Him in obedience, to go out and expand His kingdom across the street and around the world. Five oh. <laughs> all right. I know. I got. I must. I think I must have ADD. Um, we are called as the bride to go out and make Him known. We're set apart for that purpose. All right. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we see a little snippet, another snippet if you will. This is brand new, okay? You remember Pentecost where Peter goes out and the Holy Spirit comes and the believers are, are speaking and everybody there is able to understand the gospel in their own language. How fabulous, how miraculous, how amazing that must have been. And the people there are like, well, this is really wild. These guys must be drunk. And Peter stands up and he begins the sermon. We're not drunk. It's so only now in the morning. And he preaches the gospel. And it says that they were cut to the heart, cut to the quick, and said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, "Be," he said, repent and believe in Christ and be baptized for salvation. Look at this. Not be baptized to be saved, but as that picture of obedience, that, that surrender. In Acts chapter 2, we get a snippet of what the early church was doing. By the way, when Peter preached at Pentecost, it says 3,000 souls were added to their number. Man, Lord, let us see something like that. Man, wouldn't that just be amazing to just see that many people come to Christ at the preaching of the Word? So what did they do? What did the early church look like Or what specifically did the apostles teach these brand new believers? Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All right, for context, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I'm we'll to start the plot. I don't think that if it was just a handful of pastors that the pastors had baptized baptize all those 3,000 people. I don't think that would have worked out. I think that there was a lot of people baptizing the existing believers, baptizing new believers, is what I think. All right? Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. Listen to this generosity. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. This kind of reminds me of what's been going on in our community lately. People have been being so generous just taking care of each other. It's neat. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen to this, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, this is what I see. This is what we see. These people were worshiping together, They were fellowshipping together. They were committed to the teaching of the Word and to prayer and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread here, I think, can be two things and it very well could be both. It can be the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, like Jesus said, and it could just be fellowship meals in their homes as believers fellowshipping together. We just had a fellowship meal tonight. And I think that, honestly, both is happening. We see them preaching repentance and faith. How do we know? Peter just preached that message and it says also that day by day the Lord was adding to the number. Well, how do people get added to the kingdom? By believing the gospel. How do people believe the gospel? Because someone preaches the gospel. Remember Romans 10? All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they call on Him in whom they not believed? And how will they believe in whom... They've not heard, and how are they here without a preacher? So we know that they were preaching the gospel because people were getting saved. The only way they're going to get saved is by the gospel. So they're preaching, they're preaching repentance and faith. They're baptizing the new believers. They're praying together. They're loving one another and loving God. They're they're making disciples. They're doing the Lord's Prayer and they're giving generously with gladness and with generous hearts. So they're giving and receiving with generous hearts. Is it hard for you to receive gifts? It is sometimes, isn't it? Hard sometimes to receive, but that's part of it. Can't have givers without receivers. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Can't have a quarterback without somebody to throw it to. Can't have a receiver. Alright? So, This is what the early church is looking like. Now, where are they meeting at? Where are they meeting at? Homes? Where else? Sir? Wherever. (laughs) Wherever. Right. It says right here they were in the temple too, though. They were going to the temple. That's cool. Can you imagine getting to grow up Jewish and, and go to the temple and practice the Passover and long for the Messiah? And then you realize Jesus is the Messiah. What, how much more rich would the temple experience have been knowing Jesus is the Messiah? Knowing that the veil, remember the veil was torn in two. It had been torn in two from top to bottom. The Holy of Holies was exposed because Jesus is our access to God. They're worshiping Jesus everywhere. They're going around preaching the gospel everywhere. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting day by day. All right? So that's what the church was looking like in the New Testament. So here's my second commercial. We can do church and homes. And our home groups function like that. Our Connect Group Ministry, we have groups that meet on campus, we have groups that meet off of campus. When we gather, we will being the church. The way that we set up the Connect Group Ministry, the, the the format that we have, if you will, or the process that we follow is very intentional. We break our time up into thirds, looking back, looking up, and looking ahead. Looking back is a time of fellowship. It's a time of accountability. It's a time of encouragement. Looking up is studying the Word together and seeking to discuss how do we apply this to our lives. And looking ahead is, specifically this week, how will I obey what we have learned? We are growing in Christ. So connect group ministry is not meant to be a master teacher giving a lesson. It's meant to be a, a, a group discovery of studying the Word together and applying it, the Holy Spirit applying His Word to our hearts so that we're not gathering just for information but for transformation. That's our heartbeat. And we have home groups that are meeting. Maybe not quite like the home groups that met in the New Testament. It's a funny thing about homes Never run out of them. (laughs) There's homes everywhere. We can continue without limit to start more groups and homes. And as more people come into the kingdom, more homes are available. And as more disciples are made, they can be leading groups in their home and reaching their people, their oikos, their folks that need Christ. And we can continue, not just to disciple people within these walls, but to spread groups all over the metro Memphis area. Now, show of hands, how many of you guys work outside of Hernando, Mississippi? Okay. How many of you guys work in the Memphis, in, 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 in Tennessee? Okay. How many of you think that it's hard to get somebody to come from Memphis to church at Lawview Point? It can be done. We've got people that come from Bartlett, We've got people that come from a place so small down south that I don't even know the name of it. <laughs> we got people that travel, right? But we can take the church to them. We can gather and have Bible studies in our workplace, and we can follow that Three Thirds Connect Group format. We can have connect groups all over this place and we can see new people come into the kingdom as we share the gospel and as we make disciples and as we teach them how to walk with Christ and maybe God willing, as we gather churches and raise up leaders. You know, we've been blessed. I I really believe to have a church that wants to see God's kingdom grow. I I, I have complete confidence that we have been founded with the desire to be a church that is planted to plant churches that plant churches. And by God's grace, we have seen several churches planted. We've seen churches planted in Sinatobia. We've seen churches planted in Hernando. We've seen churches planted in Olive Branch. We've seen churches planted in in, uh, Lewisburg. Well, a church planted in those places. We've seen a church planted. We've been a part, a major part of a church being planted in Iowa. We've been uh, sent out a church planter to D.C. I mean, that's pretty awesome. I submit to you that those are church plants that are still very much limited to resources and to professional ministers, if you will. But we can plant house churches without limit all over the globe is happening. And we can do it, I think, in a healthy way where we still disciple leaders and raise up leaders and equip them and challenge them. So, New Testament church is not about a building. It's not about brick and mortar. It's not necessarily about where you meet. It's about the people gathering together with the intent to worship and, and grow and to go, Right? Now I got another passage for you. Telling you. New Testament survey tonight. Um, Matthew chapter 16. Johnny Lucius gave me a book a couple weeks ago that's really challenged me a lot. It's been it's been convicting and encouraging and exciting at the same time. And I'm not finished the book. I'm hesitant to, to really re- to like endorse it, but uh, I'm going to share with you the name of the book Because I'm going to borrow some things from it tonight That I learned And I don't want to I don't want to plagiarize So With a disclaimer I've not finished the book There's some good stuff in it And by the end of the book There might be some stuff That I don't agree with everything in it So disclaimer But the book Is called Organic Church It's by a guy named Neil Cole And There's a passage You're familiar with this passage (laughs) It's funny because it's, It's one of the most probably disputed passages when it comes to interpretation. It's got some very hard interpretation in this passage. But there's there's something in the there's some things in this passage that are very, very clear. So that's my my aim tonight is to focus on what's very, very clear. Okay? But in in Acts chapter sorry got to get back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16 Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in verse 13, he asks his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Picture this conversation, if you will. you got the disciples there spitting out answers, right? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're another one of the prophets. So others say Jeremiah. And then Jesus says more specifically, Who do you say that I am? Now, all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, He's been answering this question. Right? Think about it like this. From the very beginning, they saw Jesus turn water into wine. Who can do that? Only God. They saw Him walk on water. They thought it was a ghost because they didn't have a mental capacity to think. That's Jesus walking on the water. And then they saw that it was him. He was immediately in their boat. The water became clear, calm, and they're like, whoa. Just before that, they'd been in the boat with Jesus while he was asleep, and the storm was so bad that it says that the waves were about to overtake the boat. And what happened? They woke him up and said, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus said, peace be still. And immediately, it was calm. Completely calm. And they say, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? They see Jesus cast demons out of people. They see Jesus heal people with sicknesses that they were born with. They see Jesus raise people from the dead. Got loud then. They see Jesus feed thousands of people with a few fish and a few pieces of bread. They see miracle after miracle. And every time they're learning just a little bit more about who Jesus is. And Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, It's a good thing about being a big mouth. Sooner or later, you're going to get something right. My dad says, if you give a monkey a typewriter, he's bound to spell something sooner or later. (laughs) Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What an answer. What an answer. And before Peter gets to pat himself on the back, Jesus says, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He can't take credit for it. (laughs) Jesus said, God's the one that revealed this to you. God's the one that gave you understanding. We can't understand that without God helping us understand that. And then he continues and says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pause. Okay, there's a lot of potential for controversy here. Well who is Jesus talking about, right? When he says, On this rock I'll build my church. Some people say Peter, some people say Peter's confession. I'm gonna say this. I'm not sure. If it was Peter, he wasn't calling him the Pope. He was definitely saying that the apostles were going to be the foundation. I just got finished reading in Ephesians chapter 2 that the apostles were the foundation of the church. But here's what I do know. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now here's what I learned from the book. There are five things about church here in that statement, in that sentence. Okay, five things. Number one, Jesus builds his church. He said, I will build my church. Jesus builds his church. Number two, Jesus owns the church. Jesus owns the church. He said, my church. So number one, Jesus builds his church. Number two, Jesus owns the church. Number three, the church is meant to be growing. The church is meant to be growing. The church is meant to be growing. To be growing. Number four, the growing church will face opposition. Y'all see that there? The gates of hell. That brings up some pretty serious images, some serious warfare. The growing church will face opposition. Number five. The church that Jesus builds is unstoppable. The church that Jesus builds is unstoppable. Let me comment on these. I just wanted to make sure we had time to give you all those. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not Fancy programs and schemes that build a church. And it's not eloquent speakers that build a church. And by the way, I had a professor in seminary that pounded this in my head. This isn't talking about transfer growth. This isn't sheep shuffling. This is new people coming into the kingdom, church growth. That's what it's talking about. I will build my church is the church will reach more and more people who are currently living in darkness. That's our goal, okay? Now, is it bad for somebody to move into our area and join our church? By no means. We want people to be plugged in in fellowship and we want people to be growing in Christ, challenged, equipped to go and do ministry. We want to have people here Covenanting covenanting together to be on mission with God. We want to go out and storm the gates of hell and see Jesus grow his, living it out every day. We had a sermon on evangelism. And today I want you to know if you go out and you preach the gospel faithfully, you do not fail. The results are not up to you. If you share the gospel, you do not fail. If they reject the gospel, you did not fail. If you feel like you didn't say it as clear as you wish, just today, okay? I've trained you guys how to share the gospel. I have, I have done it in, at times where I thought, man, that was about the most clear gospel presentation I have ever heard. A little pride. I get prideful. Today, I had a chance to share the gospel with a lady and I fumbled and bumbled through that thing and I just left and said, God, would you please help her to understand it? Because I don't even know how that sounded. I couldn't even figure out what I was trying to say. (laughs) But I tried. I tried. And you know what? One time, I preached at the jail and it was so jumbled and bumbled, the guy came up to me after I preached and said, man, I don't understand anything you said, but I need to get saved. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we just got to go out and try. Let's just try. Jesus builds his church as the church faithfully goes out and preaches the gospel. But it's not clever programs. It's not a bunch of money. It's Jesus builds his church. Number two, Jesus owns the church. You see the possessive there, right? My church. Guys, I've heard stories that make me Cry. I'm not lying to you. I was talking to one of our pastors not that long ago who served in a in an area where churches would rather die than reach people that are not like themselves. And as he told me those stories it made me cry. And then as he told me more, it made me a little bit angry. Like how dare we have that attitude? The gospel is for all people. I'm reading that in Ephesians. You know we're all Gentiles, right? Unless you're a Jew. We're all, because of the new covenant, going to all people are blessed and receiving the gospel because we're not originally the Jewish people. We're all on even ground, even us and the Jewish people. We're all, we all need the cross. We all need salvation. We all need God's grace. But this is Jesus' church. It is not our church and it's not about our preferences. It's about what He wants. This is His church. Number three, the church is meant to be growing. He says, I'm building my church. Y'all ever driven down the road and seen a building project? You drive by two or three days later, it's a little bit bigger. Two or three days later, it's a little bit bigger. You don't drive by a building project and see it get smaller and smaller. Right? He said, I will build my church. The church is meant to be growing. Well, I can, I, can, I can corroborate that. Matthew 28 says, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. There's no way the church is going to grow if we're not making disciples of all nations. But it's very clear that since we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, that it's supposed to be growing. Does that make sense? Number four. The growing church will face opposition. The gates of hell may try to stop a growing church. They can't. They cannot. We're going to go into the darkest places and our light is going to shine the brightest. And as we go into those strongholds, where people have been separated from Christ for ages, maybe for, for all of known history. There'll be opposition. And as we have ministries here that are helping people come to Christ out of horrible situations where they're struggling and where they're in complete bondage and people are being delivered from that bondage and people are being set free, the captives are being set free and the kingdom of God is expanding, there'll be opposition. Take heart, brothers and sisters. Take heart. When Paul went and preached the gospel, you know what happened? A lot of times, most of the time, there was opposition. But the church kept growing, and he kept going. Think about that. I think about when he was in Philippi, and they, they beat him and unfairly, unjustly, and they threw him in jail, and they tied him up, and they put him in the middle of the jail in in stocks and bonds, which would have been incredibly uncomfortable after he had been beaten. I mean, beaten with, like the instruments they used could break bones, beaten, like really, really, really beaten. And at midnight, they're singing praises to God. And the church continues to grow. (laughs) And it's like, the more Satan tried to stamp it out, the more it spread. And when Paul was stoned and left for dead, he just used that as a a, teachable moment. This is an object lesson. Hey, guys. (laughs) Yeah, my jaw might be broke or whatever happened. I mean, they stoned him, okay? It wasn't pretty. They stoned him and left him for dead. He had to be tattered and bloody and bruised and cut up. And he stood before him and said, with many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Continue to be faithful. Jesus said, "His church will not be stopped." Number five, the church that Jesus builds is unstoppable. Now, here I'm going to close with this. The book I was reading, I thought this was insightful. The guy and and I, I read this in another commentary, so I don't I don't know where it originated, but. Um, a gate is not a weapon of offense right you know what I'm saying a gate you don't have to have a concealed carry permit for a gate right there's no gates of mass destruction right a gate is a defensive mechanism, keeping people out. Now, our job as a church is to keep the world out. Our job is to go to the world and preach the gospel and bring them in. The gates of hell, they've got people in their captivity. And Jesus says, as you go and storm the gates of hell... They can't prevail against you. You're going to bust through those gates and you're going to snatch people out of the darkness and bring them into the light. And he said, they will not be stopped. So here's my encouragement, brothers and sisters. If we believe this, let's live like it. What's the most that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Yeah. But then that's the best thing that could happen. When we die, we truly live. Y'all heard what Jim Elliot said, right? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's not worry about our reputation. Let's not worry about what we might lose. And let's go out and be the church that we're called to be. Let's storm the gates of hell and let's preach the gospel and let's see Jesus build His church. Y'all with me on that? That's my encouragement. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us, against Jesus building His church. I think about my life. Sometimes... I wonder how come God let me go so, so far in the wrong direction before He saved me. I've done so many things that I'm so ashamed of. I've said so many things and hurt so many people that I'm so ashamed of. Why? In Ephesians, I mean through Ephesians in my quiet time. And Paul writes that God has blessed us through Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us as adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us. He's given us forgiveness of our trespasses. He's lavished upon us His wisdom. He's saved us, and He's given us an inheritance, a hope for heaven and eternity. He's sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We were dead in our trespasses. I was dead in my trespasses, spitting in Jesus' face, running hard from God, loving sin and hating God. I was dead. I was a son of disobedience, carrying out the desires of my body, the desires of the flesh. It says, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I used to walk according to the flesh, and now because of God's grace, because of His salvation, now I have worked according to the good works that He has planned for me to work. Now... I love my family. I love my church. I'm called to be a preacher of the gospel. It's so different than the path that I was headed on before God got a hold of me. Now listen, read all that for context's sake. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, he was, which uh, was given to me by the working of His power. I love Paul's humility, verse 8. To me... Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love that phrase. Meditate on that for a couple days. The unsearchable riches of Christ. We get to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen to this. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages in God who created all things so that, listen to this, context, okay? The church is a new thing, relatively, not in God's mind, but practically. For ages, for ages, people were waiting to see this beautiful mystery of the, the rebirth, of the new creations in Christ, of this church who is one, Jews and Gentiles alike, all unified, one body. Verse 10. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Manifold wisdom of God. There's another phrase to meditate on. Manifold. You know what it means? I looked it up. It means very varied. <laughs> Many facets. The manifold wisdom. Think about God's wisdom, okay? A just and holy God who must punish sin. A loving God who forgives. You see his wisdom in the gospel. Sin was paid for. His wrath was satisfied. Jesus is our propitiation, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin debt. But you also see in God's wisdom His love. He provided a way for us to be forgiven. Sin is dealt with and paid for and we can be forgiven. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, in the wisdom of God, sin was paid for and we were justified. God's manifold wisdom is seen through the church. Now think about it. Think about us as everybody in this room as individuals. All the different backgrounds, all the different ages, all the different life stages, all the different preferences, all the different culture, and all the different pasts, experiences. And here we are, this ragtag motley crew. Showing the mystery of God. Loving each other just like a brother and sister. Completely different from all angles, yet completely alike as the body of Christ. How amazing is that? I mean, think about it. We may not have that much in common, but we have everything that matters in common. Said into his family. All for the sake of glorifying his name and making this mystery known. That's the church. so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known.